There's no research actually showing that getting someone to agree multiple times um, is effective in closing deals. The only research that's ever been proven on, on what actually, what one action can I do that will guarantee me more, you know, a higher conversion rate or more sales is. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Passive Road to Retirement podcast. Today, we are joined with John Martinez, who is the founder of Midwest Revenue Group and the creator of the REI Sales Academy. He's trained over 5,000 salespeople and uh, is a great instructor. John, thanks so much for coming on. We're glad to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. No problem. So yeah, if you could give us a little background, maybe how you got started in sales training. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of worked my way up the corporate ladder in sales, starting with uh, door-to-door, uh, kind of business-to-business insurance sales. Okay. Uh, all commission job was my first uh, sales job. You know, went from there into uh, software and m- more IT and tech type of stuff, larger and larger companies. Uh, and along the way, worked my way up to sales management and then VP of sales and uh, spent my last five or so years in corporate America building and growing uh, sales teams for mm-hmm. business to business companies. Um, about six years ago, I kind of, uh, you know, I, I hit that point where I, I decided I wanted to do something else. So I opened my own business and it just made sense to do a sales training business because that's what I had done my whole career with sales teams. And really, when it comes to um, leading sales organizations, that was my favorite part of the job. Mm-hmm. So, Kicked that up, worked with a ton of different companies and a ton of different industries. But within about a year, I got my first client in the real estate investing space. And uh, it really took over my business. And today, that's that's the only niche, the only industry I really focus on. Okay. That's great. Yeah, it's a good way to start in the insurance sales and work your way up to that yeah. for sure. So... Um, now, I've been going through your YouTube, uh, a lot of a lot of great videos on there. One. Um, that we can kind of resonate with in the multifamily is you had one that says why the highest offer doesn't matter, uh, which I can completely agree with. You know, when we go in, we'll go highest and best round. And sometimes we'll get the deal, even if we are less, just because the broker and the seller know we can close the deal. Yeah. Um, maybe you could just kind of go into a little bit of detail, you know, about, about yeah. your you know experience and, and why you believe that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you think about it, uh, if, we, if we just think about what we buy every day, big purchases, small purchases, you could probably make a list of car, house, uh, vacations, electronics, down to clothes and the food in your refrigerator. And if you made that list and checked off every single one where you bought the cheapest of the cheap, in other words, you made your decision entirely on price or the money piece, Right. There probably wouldn't be any check boxes. There's probably always cheaper options, right? Mm-hmm. So if we look at our own lives, we know, you know, yeah, money plays a piece, but it's not the only piece. If I look at every buying decision I make, um, there's always kind of a more financially uh, or cheaper option, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or in this world, the multifamily world, there's always a higher offer. You can wait around forever for higher offers if you want to. So that means we value. Um, people in the multifamily space value other stuff. So when it comes to sales, really the, I don't want to say trick because it's not a trick. Um, really the key to sales is figuring out other than the money, of course, that's got its place. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than the money, 
what's important because you can start stacking all these other pieces of value. And then when you add that to the money, the money piece doesn't always have to be the highest offer. Sure. Yep. Totally agree. So, and you see it time and time again, single family, multifamily, just, you know, if they feel comfortable and they know you can actually close. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, we focus mainly in the um, single family space, but you know, kind of the, the evolution of investors is you start wholesale in the, the single family space, but it doesn't take too long until you start to move your way through the ranks and end up in multifamily uh, or, or something along those lines, right? It's just an easier way to leverage resources, time and, and, and everything else. So I, I do work with some multifamily in that capacity just because it was natural. But even in the single family space, um, our clients tell us every day, hey, we bought this house and it was you know, 10 or 15% less than the highest offer. Yeah. Uh, so it happens. I know when, when you hear podcasts like this, you're, you're like, yeah, whatever. It happens every day though. Oh, it does. And speaking of, I, I read some of your comments on the website. One person said they closed over 170,000 from one thing they learned at your sales academy. Another <laughs> one, you know, said that they got the seller to drop their asking price by $47,000. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, on a single family. And it, yeah. it, it's really because of just what you were talking about before. What other value is the investor adding to the deal besides the money piece? Because right. that's a losing game. If you're just trying to, you know, unless you've got an in with a hedge fund with unlimited money that'll pay top dollar for anything. And then that occasionally happens. Unless you're in that position, sure. you got to find something else you can offer a value that's not, not money. Because if it's just highest offer wins, that's a tough, tough game to play. Yeah, absolutely. So now, John, going back to your uh, your insurance, you know, days and your IT days. Yeah. Uh, looking back, I'm sure you probably had a sales call that didn't go so well. Maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> looking back, what would you change? You know, if you could kind of just describe maybe what that was and what you would do differently now. Oh yeah, absolutely. So let me be clear: when I started in sales, I was the worst. Just <laughs> absolutely, I'm not a natural salesperson. I had to learn it along the way. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'd change absolutely everything, but I guess what I would, what I would share with you is this kind of not in the beginning of my career, but there was a point in the middle, um, where I almost got out of sales. I was just really discouraged. I wasn't getting the same results, uh, that I used to get. And, you know, I almost hung it up. And I remember telling my wife, like, I'm done. Um, I was good friends with uh, a local sales trainer that, that I worked with quite a bit. And I called him and I said, you know what, I'm just, I'm done with sales. I'm getting out of it. And he told me, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. Promise me you'll do this. And I, I, I trusted the guy he, uh, still to this day. And I said, okay, what is it? He says, you can quit. You've already made that decision. Go for it. But before you do, for the next few weeks, lean on everything you've learned. Lean 100% on process. Don't try to feel anything out. Don't try to outsmart any of your sales conversations, you know the step-by-step -step process, right? Right. So no matter what, even if it feels weird, just fall back on the process, stick to it like glue, do not deviate one bit, and just do that for the next two or three weeks, and then you can quit. And, and I did that. And my sales shot right back up, and I was back in control. And I, you know, um, within weeks, my whole life turned around. So the big lesson there was, you know, I guess number one, you need a sales process. Most people have one. Uh, but if you got a sales process, you lean on it. You can't, you can't fake your way through sales. You can't um, wing it, right? No right. profession wings it. A, a surgeon <laughs> doesn't wing it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so you shouldn't do it in sales either. So the big lesson is 
process. Lean on process, stick with the process, focus on your sales process, and everything will kind of fall into place. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. Um, so this guy was obviously pretty influential in your life, it sounds. Yep. Um, do you have anyone else that's kind of been influential in your life to you know move you along and, and create the success yeah. that you've had? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been able to meet some pretty cool people uh, through my journey kind of along the way. Um, but probably the the most influential is somebody I, I never met. Um, it was Richard Branson reading his book, Screw It, Let's Do It. Mm -hmm. Um, that was probably, and it's kind of, it's weird to even say, um, uh, you know, cause it, it's not someone I ever met, probably will ever meet in my lifetime, but that book changed my thinking about business and sales and everything in between. Um, really just, you know, getting to a point where you want to do something and just saying, screw it, let's do it. And that's what got me starting my my sales training business. When I had, lot, when, you know, you always have lots of big decisions to make along the way where there's risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and you weigh that risk appropriately. But I always got to that point again where I'd remember that book whenever I was stuck. And I, I you know, because you never reach a point where you're 100% sure about anything. Right. So you can feel pretty good about something. So mm -hmm. I'd always fall back on, on the stories in that book and, and the overall lesson of, you know, let's just do it. Yeah. Uh, so that, I mean, I can thank that book specifically. I remember for, for many of the best decisions I've made in my business. Um, so yeah, uh, Richard Branson's book, Screw It, Let's Do It. I have not read that. I'm going to have to grab that one. So Yeah, really good. <laughs> Sounds good, yeah. So, <clears throat> now, um, so everybody, I mean, everyone, whether you know it or not, you have a sales process. Yeah. You're going to deal, whether you're a passive or an active investor, you have your significant other, you know, you're going to have to sell once in a while, your children, maybe a broker. Um, do you have any general tips uh, for somebody that's not really good at sales, that maybe one thing they could they could do to really turn their negotiations around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we actually train. If you look at people who who sell, especially in the real estate space, mm -hmm. um, just just overall, first when you look at the studies and the research done about salespeople, every industry across the nation, you only find that about six, maybe seven percent of people actually belong in that role. Like they're naturally built for it, right? Yeah. They're just naturally built to do that. So that means 93, 94% of people aren't built for sales. So uh, just, just globally, people aren't built for sales who are in sales. Um, mm -hmm. In real estate, especially, I, I see this, and it may be even more so in real estate investment because people don't get into real estate investment to sell. They, they get into it to get into real estate and right. they just end up figuring out, wow, this is just part of the de deal, right? <laughs> this is part of the business. I've, I've got to learn to do this. Right. Um, so I'd say that the biggest tip I could give um, is, is just not, not to want it too bad. You know, when it comes to negotiation, um, the person who wants the deal least always wins. They've always got the leverage. And if you take that concept and you kind of bring it all the way back through every conversation you have leading up to a negotiation from initial contact with somebody all the way through your discussions, um, always being willing to walk away. And I'm not saying in a mean way, like slamming down the phone and, oh, I'm out of here type of thing. I'm saying just, just little things along the whole way to like, hey, listen, you know, if you're getting pushed back, let's, let's say it's a, someone owns a multifamily property, you're looking to purchase, may have something going, you're talking to them, maybe it's a first or second conversation, you're starting to get a little deeper into it. And they say something like, you know what, I don't even know if I want to sell. That's when you should pull back right there and go, 
well, maybe you should keep it. Yeah. And when you always are pulling back in that way, um, the conversation opens up. You know, you, you probably hear them say something like, well, I can't keep it. Well, why not? Yeah. It seems like it's making money. You know, you're cash flowing every month. You've held on to it for 20 years. Why not keep it for 20 more? Well, mm-hmm. I can't. Why not? Right. So always pulling back. Um, it, it's, it's something in psychology called psychological reactance. And it's when you pull away, people kind of pull you closer to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of like the boy or the girl who plays hard to get. Same concept. Right. You want it. So just having the general mindset all the way through your conversations and negotiations of, of I don't need this uh, and I'm willing to walk away at any time, which is tough to do sometimes because sometimes you do really, really want it. Yeah. You got to keep that attitude, though, to, to stay sharp and kind of stay ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And that'll, I mean, that'll get you deals as well if you kind of standoffish a little bit. Then they kind of want want to sell you the property. In my experience, you know, yeah, absolutely. And they start telling you all the reasons why they need to, or why it's a good property, and you should buy it. So yeah. you gain control that way. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you get them talking a little more, and you know, they kind of give you more information. So, yeah, absolutely. Now, do you? Um, most salespeople will kind of give closed, you know, closed ended questions. Get the seller to say yes a lot. Do you believe in that, or are you more of a go for the no, disqualify as fast as you can? Move yeah, on. so they, there's no research actually showing that getting someone to agree multiple times um, is effective in closing deals. The only research that's ever been proven on, on what actually, what one action can I do that will guarantee me more, you know, a higher conversion rate or more sales is, is the types of questions that you ask. And it's not just asking any questions. Um, there's a specific type of question. Um, if you if you read the book Spin Selling, they call it an implication question. In our sales training, we call it an impact question. And all it is is this: as you're talking to someone, there's there's a reason why they're considering selling, right? It's either because there's something they don't like, they want to get away from, or there's something that they want to be able to get to or take advantage of, or an opportunity that they they want to go after. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most salespeople ask about you know what that thing is, you know why are you selling? The one question that guarantees higher conversion rates, the only thing in all the research that's ever been done in sales to prove this is going deeper with whatever they answer, just getting them to continue talking about it. They say, you know what, it's just been kind of a pain in the butt. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, every year, you know, there's another huge expense. Give me an example. Uh, We had to replace the roof on four buildings last year. Doesn't sound like a big deal. That's normal course of business, isn't it? No, no, we lost the entire profit for a year. Well, that's okay. You got next year, right? Implication questions or impact questions. So the deeper you go with whatever problem they're facing or opportunity they want, that is the only data that suggests higher conversion rates. Okay. So really kind of get them to talk about maybe the pain that they're going through or that's it. that pain point, right? Really, really hammer that. It, it's the pain point. Absolutely. And sometimes it's not because there's anything negative happening, right? Mm-hmm. People aren't in a distressed situation. Sometimes it's because you want something so bad, it's painful when you can't have it, right? If your money's tied up here and you've got a killer opportunity here, that's it's painful too. So um, taking the pain point to the point where you get uh, emotion, uh, personal impact, how it, you know, I'm stressed about this. I'm excited about this. I'm sick of dealing with that. When you get to that point, that's that's what differentiates kind of average salespeople from the top two or 3%. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's very hard to get to that pain point. Yep. Sometimes a seller just does not want to tell you, you know, what what the real reason is. We've Absolutely. Seen, uh, 
Uh, now, is there any, um, I mean, like I said before, you've put on a lot of muscle recently and, <laughs> you know, congratulations, look great. Uh, do you have any, you know, it's a lot of discipline to do that. Um, yeah. Do you have any daily habits, you know, that kind of made you successful that you've always had or that you've adapted, you know, over time? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really, uh, everything I do is a habit, really. Um, every day is kind of the same. It's really boring. Uh, but you know, I guess, I guess there's two things. Um, I do have, you know, schedules. I, I know what I'm going to eat all week, all month long. Uh, mm -hmm. if I'm trying to get in shape, like right now, um, you know, I get up early. I, I, I do the same thing every single day. I mean, my average day is I'll wake up. Sometimes I wake up at two in the morning. Sometimes I wake up at five or six in the morning. I stopped using an alarm clock a while ago. Cause I know I'm going to wake up early. Mm -hmm. So I, I used to just get up early with an alarm clock all the time. I just don't need to anymore. So I get up, I walk out to my living room, I have a bowl of oatmeal, a shake, and I kind of just sit there. Um, I've, I've got a chair I sit in, you can see out the front of the house, you can see out the back of the house, there's this 100-year farm, watch the sunrise, it's beautiful. So I usually just sit there about an hour mm -hmm. and kind of go through the news, kind of play on my phone, and I start to get lots of ideas, I start emailing myself, and then uh, I hit the gym. Uh, we, we have a gym on the property here, so uh, hit the gym, come back in, see my wife and kids, eat again, shower, and, and get to work, usually sometime between 8 and 10.30 or so. Um, it, it's kind of, it's different from when I started, obviously. Uh, when I started, it was a lot faster paced, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and everything, you know, all that was done before like 7 a.m. <laughs> when I first started. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it's always been the same. Uh, and then the, the other thing I think the behavior that I've adopted that's really helped over the years is just um, from, I think it was Darren Hardy's book, or maybe it wasn't Darren Hardy. Um, I think it was the Keller Williams guy, the, the one thing, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if Most people I know are like me and have this to-do list of a million things, and you could get bogged down um, and just kind of overwhelmed uh, mm -hmm. and not really make any progress anywhere. You start checking boxes off, but, but if you look at the macro perspective, you're not growing and nothing's happening. So what I got really, really good at is every day I just I just picked that one thing. You know, what's gonna what's the highest leverage uh, action I can take? What what's gonna be the least amount of energy or work and provide the the biggest return? And I kind of put everything out of uh, else out of my head and, and I work on that thing. And when that's done, I pick the next one thing. So being hyper focused like that has really, really helped because it forces you to think about where the the, the leverage points are. And right. then it, you focus on it and, and you get it done. So you can make a lot of big steps instead of a lot of teeny tiny steps. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I've uh, kind of switched up my morning routine. Now I get up at 440. Don't mm -hmm. look at my phone for at least two hours, you know, <laughs> just do some meditation, work out, you know, a shake and an oatmeal as well. Yep. And, stuff. and what a difference. It's uh, incredible. Yeah. You know? yeah. You've got to be careful with the phone because uh, yeah. it can... It, I year a couple years ago, it would be it would just derail my whole day, you know. Whether I was getting up in the morning or I was in the gym, and this email comes in, and you start responding, and then you're working on a project, or you're doing this, and, and before you know it, you're like crap. Uh, so I mean, I, I still look at my phone, but what I've done is I'm completely off social media, yeah. um, and and I've got my email cleaned up, uh, so most communication goes through my assistant. So really the only person who emails me is, is me. I just email myself <laughs> notes all day when I have ideas and kind of the next day I'll go through them and throw some away and s some might be keepers, but uh, that, that's really it. So since I've cleaned up my email and I'm not getting emails all day long, 
um, from anyone else. And since I'm not on social media anymore, that really derailed me quite a bit just for a ton of different reasons. But um, that's that's helped quite a bit. And now I'm not afraid of my phone because I was, I was like that before. I'd have to put it down right. uh, or leave it in the house because it would just, you know, it, it derailed whatever I was doing. Oh, yeah. And social media, I mean, depending on what you're going to use it for, they've done studies where it's it can depress you, you know, social yep. media, Instagram and, and everything else. So I try not to be on there much unless, you know, it's for some kind of advertising or something like that. Yeah, it can it can it can anger you. It can depress you. It can mm-hmm. get you thinking about stuff you, you don't need to be thinking about. Right. Um, I, you know, everyone uses social media for some for something else. I think you, you just need to know why you're on social media. Mm-hmm. You know, some people use it to keep up with family and friends. Awesome. Just keep that in mind. Right. Don't don't stray from that. Some people use it for, for business only. That's that's what I do. We put our messaging out there, our videos uh, and communicate with people because it's just an easy way to, to get our message out and share whatever we want to share. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, you know, whatever you use it, I think you just have to be disciplined about using it that way and not getting lost in the scrolling and sucked into right. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now getting back to, uh, to the sales, um, is there any, any, uh, thing you'd like to debunk maybe in the sales field that people have a common misconception about that is not true? Yeah. I'd say the biggest misconception in sales of all time is about closing. Um, so if you hear a study, uh, a company called Huthway did, uh, Years back, a massive study, Fortune 500 companies had all kinds of clients, and uh, it was one of the first major studies of sales. And their hypothesis going into the study was, you know, um, how do we get more sales? It's probably people who attempt to close more or have had the most closing training. Can be something around closing. That was a hypothesis, so that's what they went in to find. What they found was the more times a salesperson attempted to close a deal, the less likely they were to get it. So that actually led into more studies and, um, you know, that actually led to the findings of what actually makes a difference. And it's, it's four types of questions, but there's only really one type of question that makes the big difference. You can look at uh, that impact or implication question. If you log them on sales calls, you can, without knowing anyone or what industry they're in, you can predict how long they've been in sales and, and what their sales maturity level is, just the amount of those questions, the, the, the uh, number of those questions that they've asked. So, um, Biggest myth ever in sales is is about closing. The more times you try to close, the less likely you are to get it. Um, in complex sales, so complex sales is the if there's more than three or four variables to think about. If you're choosing between two cereals, just buy this works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're talking about real estate, it's a complex decision. Yeah. Uh, you, you need your prospect to close themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for some most people, that's the biggest you know, investment of their life is their home. So mm-hmm. absolutely be a big, big decision complex. <clears throat> um, now, if you could step into my shoes, uh, this is the last question before we get into our five to thrive. Yeah. Uh, step into my shoes for the interview. Uh, what question would you ask yourself that I didn't ask you? Oh, geez, that's a great question. What question would I ask myself? Um, you know, I, The thing I think about a lot, and I think what a lot of people think about a lot, uh, at least based on what I see and and hear from others, is how to become successful. Um, So if I were to ask myself a question, it would be, how do you define success and how do you get it? Um, And the reason why I'd ask that is because the longer I've, I've 
been around, the more that definition has, has changed for me. Hmm. Um, so, you know, when I started uh, my business or really my career years and two decades ago, it was all about the money. Um, and I thought that if I hit this certain amount of money or buy these cool things, that's where happiness came from. And then eventually I got it and I, I got everything that I wanted, everything that I dreamed about, the car on the poster and, you know, uh, all that stuff. And I was still absolutely miserable. And it was a huge wake up call that I've been chasing something because I thought it was going to bring happiness and it didn't. Now, I had to take that journey because once I had the money, that was out of the way and I could figure out what is it. And it was the simple stuff, right? Family time and health and uh, super simple stuff. Um, obviously, you can't be worrying about money or else you can't really get to the point <laughs> where you're enjoying that other stuff because you're stressed out all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so my definition of success has really changed to just controlling, being in control of my time. So that means doing what I want, when I want, with whoever I want, mm -hmm. without being tugged in a certain direction or being handcuffed a certain way or having limitations put on me. Now, those things could be a million different things, but just to have the freedom to choose. And in my mind, you know, whether it's just sitting down and, you know, not doing anything for a week or doing some exciting stuff doesn't matter. Just having that freedom of choice without being tied down is, is um, my definition of success. And, and working with tons of successful people, I would say the one thing I picked up that really surprised me is the only common trait all of them had is, is they just never gave up. It was never about resources they had or opportunities that were put in front of them or education or, or how intelligent they were. It was just, there was so, such a variety of people. And the only common denominator was they didn't give up. That was it. So um, define success for yourself and then go after it and just don't give up. And I think anyone could get, you know, whatever their version of success is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like they say, if you get knocked down 10 times, you know, the failure is who doesn't get up for the 11th, right? That's it. Absolutely. And your answer there, um, you know, the car you dreamed about and, and everything else. That, I have one other question. Does that, um, do you believe in the law of attraction? Uh, you know, where you, the thoughts that you think become, you know, your, your physical reality. If you have good thoughts, you know, you'll have good things happen. If you have negative thoughts, you know, life's miserable. You know, just yeah, I mean, I absolutely believe that. You're, it, it, it comes down to attitude. Your attitude drives your behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. if, if, you know, I, I started working out again after years, like, like I used to when I was in my 20s. If my attitude was, I can never get back into shape, I would have never even tried. You right. know, if you look at sales and you, you look at a lead or an opportunity and go, there's no way in hell, you're not going to have the right conversation. You may not even have the conversation to begin with. So I'm a huge believer in, in attitude drives behaviors and behaviors drive results. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's a big, big difference once you get that mindset shift. It, it's everything. It, it, it's, it's so cliche, right? It's right. all about the mindset, mm -hmm. um, but it really is. It does. It's a real big difference. I agree. So now, John, if anybody... Wanted to find out more about your, your boot camp or your, your sales training. Where can they go and find out more information? Uh, we've got a website. You can get to it at Midwest Rev, short for revenue, MidwestREV.com. Uh, or if you type in REISalesacademy.com, takes you to the same place. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes too for anybody. Just go and click it. Uh, so now we're getting to our five to thrive. Okay. Uh, this is a, a word association game. So I'll just, uh, we have five questions, five words, just rapid fire. 
And first thing that comes to mind, uh, either word or phrase, and you just can't repeat your answer uh, more than once. I feel like this is going to be really tough. <laughs> People usually love this part. So I, I'm excited, but I'm also a little scared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So the first one is freedom. Uh, time. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exercise. Fun. Mm -hmm. Repetition. Mastery. Oh, that's a good one. I've never heard them. Yeah. Sales. <laughs> uh, communication. And last is the REI Sales Academy. The best. Yep. <laughs> Agreed <laughs> on all the reviews. <laughs> so absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks, John. I really appreciate your time today. And it's a pleasure having you on the show. Hey, it was a pleasure being here. Thank you.